This is Sports Best, presented by Reposted on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe in the best of sports. That's why each and every week we cut out the worst and just give you the best. He is Andrew Keller. I am Larry Olson. You know, people have been asking me, Andrew, if we're social distancing while we do this podcast. And I say, of course we are. Of course we are. I am not sitting eight inches behind you in your closet. <laughs> um, we have a very exciting show this week. We are going to bring on an ultra marathoner who set the world record for 100, the 100 mile time, whatever that is, set the world record for running 100 miles on a treadmill. The fastest. The fastest miles. time. He did it in 12 hours. And Andrew, I just have to get this out of the way first and foremost. You ran the beer mile, which I feel like is sort of very similar to running 100 miles on a treadmill. So if you could just tell us of like the greatest feat of your life doing the beer mile. The beer mile was hatched out of like, we were, I think we were watching, um, who was that? Mayweather and Pacquiao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I made the claim that I could run the beer mile, which is you run a quarter mile, drink a beer. No, you drink a, a full beer and run a quarter mile and you do that four times. So four beers and one mile as fast as you can. And I was like, I could do that in seven minutes because I can drink fast. Because <laughs> I could run like a six six thirty mile at that time. But uh, what I didn't take into account was the, the burping. <laughs> and we uh, we bet $100 on it. And I found out Kurt subbed out like he, he sold better odds to someone else, which I'm still upset about. I think my time was like 7.14 or 7.12. So like it was still good. And the one thing that you don't know about the beer mile is maybe two or three minutes after you're done, all that alcohol hits you at once and you go <laughs> from completely sober to really drunk. And uh, I would never do it again. <laughs> I got the fortunateness of being there and watching you do it. And by the way, we had a great crowd come out. Yeah, you brought your family. It was like a, it was like a thing. And I do remember right after you finished, you were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that you thought this out. You just didn't account for the gaseousness of it. <laughs> yeah, I had trouble like just taking the beer. Like I couldn't drink as fast as I thought I could. And uh, yeah, well, our guy. I did the hundred miles without drinking and it was a success. So we're, we're happy for him. The cool part is he did it hundred miles on a treadmill and only ate potato chips, but we yeah. will get to Zach in just a little bit. All right. Each and every week we like to check in on our favorite live baseball league, Andrew. And that yeah. right now is the KBO, the Korean baseball organization. So sitting atop the league at 12 and two on the season is the NC dinos. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Before we've got things started, we decided to pick a couple of teams to root for. You chose the LT twins. Nope. LG and they LG and they are currently in second place at nine. Yes. Three games back. Three games yes. Back. And then my team, the New York Yankees, the KBO, the Kia tigers are in fifth place at eight and seven. Andrew. I love that you throw New York Yankees in front of them every time, hoping that will boost them to be a little bit better. You can't just call them the KT Dinos. They have to be the New York Yankees. Yes. Okay, it's time now for our Who is Not a Player on the LG Twins quiz. Andrew, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to give you three names. Two of these people are on your team, the LG Twins. One is not. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Lee Min Ho, John Cho, or Roberto Ramos? Which one of those three is not a player in the Korean baseball organization? Is John spelled with an H or J-O-N? It's J-O-H-N. Oh, that's a dead giveaway. John is not on the LG Twins for sure. Do you know who John Cho is? 
No, I don't. He is he is the actor Harold Lee in Harold and the Kumar films. Yes. <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, All right. So once again, Andrew, we do have some live sports uh, that have never stopped. Sumo wrestling in Japan never stopped. Camel racing mm-hmm. in Beirut kept going. Professional chess in Russia. But we have actual live sports in America, Andrew. It is NASCAR. Yes. Do you ever watch NASCAR? Uh, I do like a good NASCAR race on Sunday. Yeah. What? Yeah. And you don't fall asleep? Cars. No, I mean, that's part of it. That's part of watching NASCAR is falling asleep, which is funny because in person, it's the exact opposite. You, It's so loud. <laughs> All right. So NASCARs are making up for lost time. They're doing seven races in 11 days. Four of those are the big cup races. So that's the big boys. This week, for the first time since 1984, NASCAR raced on a Wednesday night. Wow. It was the second race in seven of 11 days. And guess what? For the moment, it looked like NASCAR had, you know, we'd beaten the pandemic. They got to race. Mm-hmm. They got to, you know, fans get to watch them on TV. And then guess who won, Andrew? Mother Nature. Mother Nature! They got rained out. Would you believe that? Doggone to beat, beat the pandemic. Mother Nature wins. The race got called with 20 laps to go, Darlington Raceway. And uh, Denny Hamlin was the big winner there was a there was a big crash at the end of the race and he ended up having it and before that got called he got the checkered flag he had to go to the uh, trophy presentation with his umbrella but here's the here's the thing the way the world is working andrew you have mm-hmm. to always wear a mask and yeah. so he goes to pick up his trophies wearing a mask and then um he goes to give his you know sort of acceptance speech to have your face on that trophy again that means a lot what's it mean to you and why well, I mean, why wouldn't you want this mug on the trophy again? <laughs> and so that's the new world we live in, Andrew. you got to wear a mask. And I, do you think it'll be funny to see the – well, I don't know funny is the word, but to see these athletes kind of giving post-game interviews with masks on? I think people are going to start making it their own. I'm, I don't know why, but I go to the NBA. I'm like, they're going to bling it out. They're gonna, like, they're always so <laughs> stylish. And I feel like uh, there's going to be some creative ways for people to express <laughs> themselves via mask. I did not think you were going to go with the blinged-out mask take. <laughs> well – it was actually pretty funny for um, for Denny Hamlin. His mask was an actual picture of his face. So he's oh. wearing a mask with his face on it. That's creepy. <laughs> yeah, that is a little creepy. Um, but that's the world we live in. People are going to be wearing masks. NASCAR is going to be racing. So kudos. We do have live sports. And, and apparently you like watching NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR. NASCAR. So, Andrew, we have uh, baseball coming theoretically to start playing again. But there will be no base brawling if it does happen. So apparently the MLB has presented the Players Association with a 67-page document that kind of outlines everything that's going to happen with the restart or the starting of the season. And one interesting point of that is uh, it's being reported that, quote, fighting and instigating fights are strictly (laughs) prohibited. Players must not make physical contact with uh, others for any reason other than the normal permissible part of the game. Violations will result in a severe discipline which under normal times the players who initiate participate in brawls are subject to ejection but uh, that sounds like they're going to take it to a higher level like what are you gonna get fined i guess they're gonna maybe do some nfl size fines or uh, i guess they're taking it pretty seriously and so i don't know because like for fights in general that happen like you're automatically outnumbered because the entire (laughs) defenses out there versus one so it's it's almost impossible to not have a bench clearing ball brawl but it's so fun it's kind of like hockey when a fight breaks out 
it's not safe, but uh, it's gonna be. It's just gonna make the the play different. And That's especially true. with with all the cheating going on, like there's been a lot of speculation that like yes. people need to the Astros can get thrown at and they can't fight. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, here's the deal. You know, in hockey, you mentioned that hockey, like they really fight. Like they they like land blows on people's faces. Mm-hmm. But baseball seems like those fights are like some guys holding some guy back and they're mm-hmm. like swinging and missing. It's like, come on, that's not a fight. Right. <laughs> Except the Nolan Ryan uh, Ventura uh, you know, fight. I was totally thinking that, dude, where Ryan just cold cocks him, right? Oh, man. That's such an <laughs> iconic picture of uh, him just having him in the headlock, slamming him in the face. But it sounds like that's not going to happen. I did think about, like, uh, what's going to – plays at home. That's going to run. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the game will get more rough because they know there's no consequences of the bench-clearing brawls. I think that's, that's kind of crazy. I saw one in person one time, and it was – it was epic. It was Camden Yards. It was the Orioles. I think they were playing like the White Sox or something. And uh, it uh, it's electric. I've seen a couple of uh, monumental sporting events in, in baseball. I saw Nolan Ryan's 5,000th strikeout. I've seen uh, a perfect game by Matt Cain. I saw Lincecum what? pitch a no-hitter. And I've been to game two of the World Series in 2012. And I think that brawl in Camden Yards... <laughs> Is uh, maybe top one or two moments of baseball for me. You got some good uh, sports karma. If you got to see yeah. all this, I've caught three foul balls. What? Yeah. Do you have them? No, I, I always give them away to kids. No, you don't. I do. What am I going to do with the baseball? Just keep it. Yeah. Okay. Can I just? Can you make a pledge to me if you catch another foul ball and we ever play baseball again, you're going to keep it or give it to me? Uh, yeah, I could do that. Okay. I'll, I'll give you. I'll get you a baseball, Larry. <laughs> All right, Andrew, a 90-year-old Japanese woman is now officially the oldest gamer. We don't talk about gaming enough here on the show. Are you a gamer, Andrew? Uh, I am. I'm a, I'm a recovering gamer. I used to. <laughs> I don't trust myself. I, I have to not have a system because I would just play all day. <laughs> I'm a recovering gamer. I like that. Uh, Hamako Mori is known as Gamer Grandma to her 250,000 YouTube subscribers. She started gaming 39 years ago and was recently named the world's oldest gaming YouTuber officially by Guinness World Records. Okay. Wow. Her YouTube channel launched in 2015. She posts up to four videos a month where she does everything from unboxing new consoles to broadcasting her best games of Grand Theft Auto. Yes. <laughs> I love this story. The first thing I thought of, though, that, that, that proves that she's old is that she's on YouTube and not Twitch. Like, I feel like <laughs> Twitch is... To, that's where Ninja makes all his money, right? Hey, why are you hating on Gamer Grandma? You're calling, I mean, come on, bro. Well, I don't know. Is she actually a grandma, though? I feel like, uh, I'm not sure she has kids. Okay, now you're really hating on our Gamer, gamer Grandma. I, I'm, I'm just being uh, skeptical. I think, I think this is an amazing story, though. No, but uh, here's the deal. If you were a 90-year-old woman, why would your game be Grand Theft Auto? Is it like Minecraft or, you know, <laughs> why Grand Theft Auto? I love it. Have you watched her play? She's fun to watch play. She, uh, she, uh, she plays it up. Really? Yeah. She's like I a ham. It. A little bit, yeah. And, I don't know. And it's just it's such a weird context seeing someone ninety years old playing Grand Theft Auto. It's just <laughs> well. So two, first of all, two I worlds feel, collide. I feel like you need to get to know me a little bit. I have one hard fast rule in life: I can never watch anybody play video games i was like what am i just like i can't do that i can watch That's youtube videos coming out the yin yang no watching people play video games you just leave the room i'm out <laughs> <laughs> all 
With all the gyms being closed down, 49ers all-pro tight end George Kittle seems to kind of be a trendsetter in the 49, 49ers organization. He and his wife, Claire, turned their two-car garage in Nashville into their home gym. And from what I can tell, he saw this coming in February and started ordering equipment. He got a Stairmaster for his wife. Um, he made a yeah, big point to let her... Of course, you got to get a Stairmaster for the wife, you know? You got to get one for the wife. He started talking to his strength coach and telling him everything he bought and then started sharing with the rest of the team. And Kittle's claiming that they have the prettiest and the grittiest home gym out of everyone in the organization. I think that's fun. They specifically want everyone to know that it's only used for a gym. Like some people have a gym in their TV room or their office. He's like, this is only a gym. They're putting up mirrors so they can flex. And... uh, (laughs) Listen, can it, I guess maybe that's an oxy, oxymoron. You can, the prettiest and grittiest, can you have both of those? I mean, I guess so. I, I, I think, I mean, I saw pictures of the Stairmaster, and I'm not sure, but it, it seemed to have a little extra pretty to it. So you get this hard, hard-hitting hard uh, metal. And uh, maybe, maybe his wife, Claire, who used to play basketball at Iowa, is bringing the pretty in. You know, the interesting part of the story is that these two got married in a pawn shop, right? They got married in spring at a pawn shop with yeah. plans to host this big wedding in Italy. So they're paying attention to Italy because they think they're going to get married in the summer. And that's why they knew all about the health stuff. And then they realized, oh, crap, we're not going to be able to get married. And he's a football player. He goes like, oh, crap, I better start buying gym stuff. And that's why yeah. he's got this like totally pimped out gym. I didn't know he lived in Nashville. It sounds like they bought a house in Nashville. He's from Oklahoma, I think. Um, but his parents watch the house for him when they're not there, and uh, he's he's committed to even once this is done, they're going to park their cars in the driveway and leave them <laughs> exposed to the elements so the gym can remain intact. I think it, Nashville's interesting, right, because he's from Oklahoma. He played football at Iowa, Iowa University. He's now a member of the 49ers and lives in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you beefed up your home, home gym game since oh, yeah. uh, lockdown oh, yeah. started? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm a straight prison workout, so it, I just go to my bathroom and just do push-ups. So that's yeah. that's pretty much my whole gym. The you know, uh, workouts. <laughs> you know, we're we're now officially doing everything on Zoom. I suppose my wife does a a Zoom workout from her uh, yo core forty teacher. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Is it core forty or yoga? Yeah. Something, whatever it is. Have you pl- have you played one of these games on Zoom, Andrew? Like where you do like uh, Yahtzee or something? Have you done anything like that? Uh, I've played house party once and, uh, how was that? It was, a, it was okay. I think I, I like, I like the in-person touch. I, I like, uh, okay. if I'm playing poker, I want to hold the cards. I want to be okay. able to throw Andrew, my drink in your face. I hate to break the news to you, but everybody likes to play poker and throw drinks in people's faces. But if we got to do it on zoom, it's the only way to do it. Right. Yeah. I guess you have to adapt. Okay. You have to, we have to be able to do to adapt at this point. Right. Um, so everybody's doing everything on Zoom, except for Andrew, who really wants to do poker in person. So, of course, you can watch a soccer game on TV, like, you know, theoretically starting uh, the Bundesliga in Germany starting back up. And some of the mm-hmm. European leagues are going to start playing soccer. And they, you, they're not going to be fans of the stadium, but you can watch these games on TV. Right. But one Danish soccer team, AGF Arhals, <laughs> AGF Arhals, am I saying that correct? Arhals. Yeah. They're going to put – That last one's right. That was it. That last one. Ha. 
Um, this AGF hoss is going to put um, cameras <laughs> at people's season seats, right? So you buy like a, you know, people have season tickets to games, right? Right. So you have your seat that's your seat. <laughs> They're going to put a camera on your seat so you can watch the game from your seat on a Zoom channel. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? So you can watch the game on TV, but if you want to get the angle from your seat, you can go to the Zoom channel and you'll be able to watch it. That's cool. Do they... And is it is it free? Um, it'll be free. I I suppose like I don't know how they worked it as far as like if you got your money back for your season tickets or whatever the case is, uh -huh. but I think it's probably some sort of tie-in of like, hey, thanks for being a season ticket holder. We are gonna zoom your seats, kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think there's maybe an opportunity to like maybe you you pay a premium and your audio can be piped into the to the stadium. And we were talking last week about how. Uh, Joe Buck was thinking the NFL might need to do that, and like maybe you could just have natural fans if you zoom in. So, like as you cheer to the Zoom link, it'll cheer into the stadium. I get that. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. I think that'd be kind of cool. Or then maybe they put like the the gallery view up on the jumbotron, and the guys can look up and see everyone cheering for him. I don't know. You know I, what? I got, I got ideas, Larry. I was thinking this is a kind of a dumb idea, but I feel like you're I I see what you're doing. You're kind of moving with the flow here. All right, I gotta call. Um, I gotta call Tomas with AGF Hoss and <laughs> give him my ideas. I love Thomas; he's great. Yeah. <sighs> Have you been watching The Last Dance? I watched every single episode, and all of my kids watched every single episode. I feel like that's what everyone's talking about right now. And not to be one left out of the greatest of all time discussion, I feel like Tom Brady is going to jump in. It sounds like ESPN is doing a nine-part series called The Man in the Arena, and basically. They <laughs> Each episode is going to be about each of his trips to the Super Bowl, the six wins and three losses. I, it could be interesting. Tom Brady's generally been pretty private about everything, so giving access um, could be interesting to see how ESPN lets that unfold. Would you, I don't know. Would you I watch mean, that? I, I definitely will watch it because there's nothing else going on, right? But it this one will be different than the Jordan one. Like, there truly is nothing now, so everybody's watching the Jordan one. Like, I think this this documentary is going to come out in a couple of years, and theoretically we'll have sports again. So, you know. I feel like it's a publicity play. I, I heard a, or I read an interview, and uh, Tom Brady said, I've learned a lot from my wife over the years. She's so about the power of intention and believing that things are really going to happen. And maybe he's trying to – channel his inner Giselle to try to <laughs> squeak out another year or two of his career with the Tampa, Bra Tampa Brady uh, Gronkineers. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, listen, I do you like Tom Brady? Are you a big Tom Brady fan? Uh, I think he's great to watch. I don't really care for him much as a social figure. Hmm. Well, you know, these I, I love doc. Do you like you like documentary? You're a film guy. You got to like documentaries, love docs. right? Love yeah, docs. I love documentaries. The, the new one that ESPN actually is coming up with, it's the Lance Armstrong one. You're a Texas guy. That's uh, he's really interesting. I read his book and I'm definitely going to watch the Lance Armstrong. Wait a minute. Now. OK, in his book, does he talk about cheating or is it like the book where he doesn't talk about that? It's the one where he doesn't talk about it. He talks about <laughs> how great he is and how he overcomes. <laughs> Did you know that he was like he had let his insurance lab? at laps and so he's in in bed and the ceo of oakley who's like a major sponsor went to, went to the insurance company it's like you're going to cover him and they're like well we can't do that he's like i'm going to get rid of i'm just not going to use you at all and he basically strong-armed his insurance company to give lance coverage i mean he could have afforded it otherwise but i mean that's a strong move well you're saying this is like when he was had cancer or whatever yeah this oh, is that... still when when uh, lance had the halo effect around everything he did that's when i read it
you know what? Maybe you'll have to pull that book out and reread it, Andrew. I think I might. Zach Bitter went on for a nice little run on Sunday, breaking the 100-mile treadmill world record at home in Phoenix, running it in 12 hours, 9 minutes, and 15 seconds. That is just about a 7-minute mile for 100 miles. Hey, Zach, congrats on the record. Before Sunday, you'd never run over 30 miles on a treadmill, so this was just sort of a way different experience for you. Yeah, that was one of the things that kind of stuck out in my mind that was interesting about this is you know, I've been an ultra marathon runner for about 10 years now. So, you know, usually you kind of find events that you like or distances you like, and you kind of learn them and perfect them as much as you can. But every once in a while, you find something that's different enough where you kind of get that new kind of this is my first time type of an experience. So uh, even though those are a little more unnerving leading into, they're also kind of fun and exciting to kind of take on. So closing that 70 mile gap was probably the the piece to that puzzle that was was a little more uh, nerve-wracking, I think, than most of these races are for me. Yeah, what was the what was the timeline for thinking about the time of inception of the idea till you started executing it on Sunday? It seems like it came together pretty quickly, right? Yeah, for the most part. Basically, you know, I started the year preparing for a 100-miler over in London that was going to be flat and fast. And then the kind of the cascade of race cancellations came in March, and basically everything got cleaned off the schedule and for the, at least the first half of the year. So I was far enough into that training block that I wanted to try to replicate a race if I could versus just kind of scaling back on peaking. And uh, the treadmill seemed to be kind of the next best thing. So I, I pitched the idea to my wife and she thought it was cool and helped me kind of plan the, the, the rest of it. And then once we kind of reached out to my sponsors and Nordic track, they were they were excited enough about it. They wanted to kind of help out, set it up, and make sure it was going to go off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that kind of it just it kind of snowballed, like like you said, but in probably about a four week time period where we went from my original idea of just well I'll record it and do it and then maybe post it to YouTube to let's live stream it, let's bring in hosts, let's bring in guests, let's turn it into a full production. <laughs> you were, you said you were training for a different race. I'm curious on how you train. Do you? Do you have a, uh, a routine that you follow or do you listen to your body? I, I feel like at those distances, it's not like um, couch to 5K type of a routine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of both in there. I am pretty structured in the way I develop my training. I, I like the approach of periodizing. So I even though I'm running 100-mile races, I still will do short, fast intervals. But the difference between that and maybe what you'd see in like a 5k plan is since it's not race specific, I'll do that earlier in the plan. And then as I go through the plan, I'll get more specific to the race distance environment and intensity and uh, kind of build towards that. So, you know, within the context of that, I've got a good body of work of what I can usually expect my body to give me. And I kind of have like ranges of where that'll end up probably being, but Mm -hmm. where I fall within those ranges is definitely me listening to my body. Like there are times I think that are beneficial to kind of push through a little pain. And there's times when it's just smart to kind of address the second side of the training window, which is uh, rest and recovery and kind of let all that stuff sink in. Nice. What, what was the um, setup for the treadmill? Like, I mean, did you set up a hundred mile race on it or did you just hit go and with no hills and run for hundred miles? And I know also in the middle, you switched treadmills at one point. Yeah. So we, we, I just had it at 0% incline. So it was perfectly flat. That's kind of standard for treadmill records and just had it kind of on the manual setting, I guess. And 
Yeah, I had two treadmills set up there just to be safe. I actually switched a lot more often than I anticipated. And part of that was just responding to what I didn't necessarily know. And the other part of it was we actually ran so much power through that corner of the house where I had the treadmills, the air conditioner, <laughs> the video streaming, the screens would time out on the treadmills. So uh-huh. we ended up having to, I'd switch when it would happen, I would switch the other treadmill just so I wouldn't lose too much time. And when we figured out that that's, that it was like a power shortage thing, we ran an extension cord across the house, plugged the treadmills into that, and then it was smooth sailing from there. So the second half of the day, I spent a lot more long stretches on one of the, one of the treadmills in particular because I, I started preferring it because it was facing the door in the room I had it so I could see out into the kitchen where my wife and our dog was and stuff. So it's just like a little more distractions out, out there versus staring at a white wall. I've never run anything further than uh, 13, <laughs> 13 miles. And I've heard a lot about like a runner's high. Do you get... I, it's such an interesting experience doing that on the treadmill. Did you get like, did you get a same runner's high? Did you get runner's delusion? Like it's going to be mind numbing. Like yeah. what was, what was, how was it different than previous out, outdoor races? Yeah. Like during, during the event itself, it was pretty, it, it was different enough mentally where I could like, I could tell it was not the same as like even being on a 400 meter track. Like I've done in the past, which I think to date has been kind of like the most boring event I've been to the way I describe it is it's there's like this weird kind of psychological thing going on where when I'm running on a track or a road or a trail, I'm kind of in control of the pacing. Like I'm deciding I want to speed up. I want to slow down. And that's kind of happening intuitively. My body's responding to where, how I feel. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the treadmill, you have the convenience of setting a pace and know you're going that pace. You don't have to like burn a bunch of mental energy focusing on hitting those splits, but you also lose the sense of being in control because you're responding to the belt. So that kind of eats away at you after a while where it's almost the way I describe it is like when you think of yourself like in middle school, when the, when your parents or teachers told you what to do, you want to do the opposite. <laughs> it's like that belt's yeah. telling me to go nine miles per hour. I don't want to go nine miles per hour. Anymore. <laughs> so uh, it, I felt like there was like points where it was really beneficial to step off the machine for just a brief bit, like say, okay, refocus, get back on. And that, that helped quite a bit. And the, the best example of that I think was at mile 87, I was kind of in one of those spots where I was having a hard time comprehending, continuing to respond to the machine. And I just took a two minute break and sat down and just kind of said refocused. And then when I got back on, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this last 13 miles. You know, uh, I was talking about your story with my 17 year old and we read about your race diet where you were basically drinking a very specific calorie endurance drink. And then you ate potato chips only. <laughs> you, you have to explain that. Yeah. I mean, that's not too uncommon for me. I had, Usually I'll do mostly liquid calories. And uh, you know, this year I've been working with a company called S Fuels. They make a, a product of kind of, they make a lifestyle version of products for like high, kind of high fat, low carb uh, endurance mm-hmm. athletes. And then the Dr. Dan Plews, who helps them formulate a lot of their stuff is uh, he's very aware that there's still a place with for carbohydrates than high fat, low carb endurance. And so their intra-race or big workout uh, option is this product called Race Plus. So I think I did about, 12 packets of those mixed in my bottles throughout the course of the day and then mile 87 the bag of potato chips was the first and only solid food i had on the day and then um i think i had like eight ounces of soda as well so that was kind of totality of, of my calorie sources and all you all you start flexing in caffeine around hour five or six during an event like this that's around 12 hours so at five hours, I started using, I, I really like uh, Yerba Mate as a source of caffeine. So oh, yeah. there's the there's this company called uh, Unicity. They make a product called Unimate, which is basically a little like 
packet of powdered stuff that you can just put in your bottle and shake up so I don't have to sit there like brewing tea during the race, <laughs> which, which would have probably worked for this particular event is yeah. like 10 yards away. But most races, it's nice to have the packet. So I just stuck with what I've used in the past and did it that way. And I think I did about seven packets of that over the course of that, those last seven hours. I saw a 2013 article that was written about you and you said that one day you'd like to do the bad water ultra. Is that something that you have done since, or does this make you want to do it more? Yeah, you know, I think Badwater is a cool event. I, I would say, like, back then I was maybe more interested in it just due to my, like, lack of knowledge of the sport, maybe. I think, like, now that I know a little more, like, like Badwater it tends to be, like, and then the folks who love it love it, but it's also, like, this kind of, like, situation where I think it is almost as important to have, like, a crew that can build a microclimate around you as oh, it yeah. is like to be actually out there performing so like i've lost a little interest in that one kind of specifically because of that because then it's just like this this concept of let's spend as much money as we can to build a microclimate around this person for 135 miles but you know if that's what it, if that's what you're interested in and it's you're certainly going to have a, a a group of people that you probably haven't experienced remember yeah, your for, life. <laughs> i guess for people that aren't familiar with the ultra world can you give like a quick breakdown of what bad water is to me it kind of seems like the everest of the running world but I'd, I'd like to hear it in your words yeah it's uh it's unique in that you start below sea level and then you you run 135 miles and you arrive at mount whitney so oh. it goes from like a really low point to a really high point and it's calling card in the past had always been it's just like scorching hot like there's mm -hmm. uh in fact i think it got it got some some kind of living room mainstream press when Dean Carnassus wrote a book about it, talking about how his shoe soles were melting on the road. It was so hot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it, it's pretty brutal for that. So they, they build themselves as the world's toughest race. And uh, it, it's definitely a unique environment, I think. So I don't, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it down the road, but it's not sure. on the short list at the moment. Yeah. You know, running a hundred miles seems scary to me. And obviously you did it. Is your mindset different as to what's scary in all things in life? Is your mindset just different as to what anybody can do? Yeah, I have a really good appreciation of, like, contextualizing that, though. So, like, for me, like, running 100 miles isn't necessarily scary anymore. It's more of a question of, like, well, how well am I going to do or how bad am I going to do if wow. I have a rough day? Whereas, like, scaling this side of a mountain with no cords attached to you seems like the most terrifying thing ever whereas Alex Honnold would probably be like oh that's nothing to that sure <laughs> I think it is it's interesting when you get I guess my takeaway from all of this is just like human beings are pretty impressive in their ability to like focus in on one particular skill set and if they spend enough time doing it it's just like mind-boggling what can be done versus what you could just kind of do off the couch or with like minimal exposure you know other than just having a good time running 100 miles in your living room <laughs> You actually ran this for a cause, Fight for the Forgotten. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them and how people could support them? Yeah, Fight for the Forgotten is a charity that I've been really a big fan of for a few years now. When I, I first listened to a podcast by their founder, uh, Justin Wren, who he, he's had a really, really interesting life story from being like severely bullied in school to becoming uh, an MMA fighter, competing in the UFC and Bellator and uh Along that way, though, he decided at one point he wanted to identify the most forgotten group of people on the planet. And when he did his homework, he decided that was the Pygmy tribe in the Congo. 
So he started by going over there and helping build wells and ultimately wells and farms over there. And in those experiences going over, he's got malaria three times. He came back with a, with a, 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 a parasite that had never been recognized before. I mean, sure it ravages people over there and they just don't have the, the resources to necessarily identify it. But when he came back with it, the doctors were like, yeah, this is something new. <laughs> wow. So like he's put his body through the, through the gauntlet for this cause. And he's recently partnered to also develop curriculum for schools in the U S to just to, like teach about kind of like bullying prevention and things like that. So I've been a huge fan of his for a while and, uh, we're planning a, uh, a trans con where I'll run from San Fran to New York next year to raise awareness. So I thought it would be good to kind of jumpstart that with, uh, tying in his charity with this particular event as well. So, um, yeah, folks who are interested in, in donating to it, there's, I have a link on the front page of my website that'll take you to the, to the page specifically for the treadmill event, but, um, just generically speaking fight for the forgotten.org is, uh, their website as well. We'll put a link in, in our show notes as well. So people can find a way to donate. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. So, so, Zach, my seven-year-old thinks being an ultra marathoner means you get to run and eat chips. I don't think he's got the concept exactly <laughs> right for what you do. For I mean, you just finished this. Do you have any idea what possibly you'll do next? Yeah, that's kind of the tough one to decide right now because we just haven't really seen races pop back up on the calendar in a meaningful way yet. So, if you know, best case scenario, we start seeing races come back in the second and a half year, I'll probably do something. I, if I had to guess now, probably like a runnable trail just to be a little bit different from what I've been doing the last uh, better part of the last year or so. But if no races pop up, I'll just probably put a little more, invest a little more time in preparing for that transcon trip, uh, which will probably be in March next year. And, uh, you know, Pete Costlin, like the guy who's got the record for that, averaged 72 miles a day. So <laughs> I want to try to go after that, which will be a tall task uh, for sure. I feel like I'm going to have to make some adjustments in training and at least identify kind of like where are my specific fueling needs during something like this, where I, I can't just kind of wreck my body one day and expect to be on the couch the next day and eating, eating all the food and not moving. Whereas run 72 miles one day, you got to get up and do it again. The next day, you got to do some things a little differently, I think. All right. I can officially say this. Zach Bitter, the world record holder in the 100 mile, 100 mile treadmill run. Zach, you are awesome. Please go have some potato chips and sit on the couch for a bit. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. This is Sports Best, the best of sports. Thank you again to Zach Bitter, world record holder in the fastest 100 miles on a treadmill. If you like the show, please share it with a friend or family member so they can catch up on the best of sports. Until next week, we will be scouring the world of sports to bring you all of the sports best. Best.